Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What should you do when you see a ghost in your bathroom mirror? Is your neighbor another version of you from a parallel world? Why do some people have positive UFO contact experiences and others terrifying ones? Hello and welcome to the 639th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those delightfully different questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Okay, and uh, first of all, a uh, couple of things here. Uh, happy Mother's Day uh, to all our wonderful mothers who listen to the show all over the world. And uh, I just ha- I cannot help but point out as a proud dad that this is Ben's first broadcast as a married man. I did it. Yes. Um, we, that's why we haven't been here live for the last two weeks, because I had to go along as a chaperone. It's like a high school like Well, you were high school or something. So anyway, I'm very pleased to have my wonderful daughter-in-law, Mary, and now Mary and Eno. So I uh, thank everyone, certainly, for all the uh, the wonderful congratulations that have come in over the last two yes. weeks. Yes, thank you very members. much. All right. Anyway, today we welcome back our old friend and favorite guest host, ghost host, uh, Shane Searway. Shane is a unique paranormal investigator who gets it done and helps people like we've never seen, one of the few investigators with whom we will work. It is very high compliment. So welcome back, Shane. Why don't you tell the folks a little bit about yourself? All right. Well, I've been doing this for about over 25 years, close to 30 years now. Um, I, my website's trueghost.com. I specialize in... Um, nasty haunts, but I cover everything, but my specialty is the nasty ones and getting rid of them, um, you know, when no one else can. Well, we're, uh, we're close to 20 years now. Uh, well, not quite, 18 years anyway. We've been, uh, yeah. you know, uh, partners in crime, right? It's been a while. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So this afternoon we bring you an open line show with many interesting questions from our highly intelligent and incisive audience. And of course we welcome your phone calls. The numbers are 800-449-1240. That's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. And 401-766-1240 locally. And we will also monitor emails. Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for emails. So let us get started with the emails, I suppose. It's the third time you said that in one sentence. Not, not to be critical. Anyway. Oh, you're so critical. Make oh, yeah, feel so, so well, bad. make you a better husband. Fine. Uh, <clears throat> okay. So uh, we had a show, an open line show, some weeks ago, actually several months ago, uh, that was lost. The recording was lost and nobody got to hear it. So all those who were waiting for answers to the questions in that show did not perhaps hear them. Uh, they may not have been in our area or could not listen live in any other way. So we're going to go revisit a couple of the questions uh, from from that show and then move on to some new ones. Okay, this one is from Marie, and I did not know where Marie is from. Marie from somewhere uh, writes to us, I have heard you talk about certain kinds of figures, like the man in the checkered shirt or the little girl with blonde hair that show up in many cases. What kind of ghosts are these, and why do they show up in more than one place? Okay, just briefly, and then I'm going to give this to Shane. There are, are, um, I call them archetypes which is a, a term from Jungian psychology, which refers to certain things that are present, certain common themes that are present in the human psyche, in, in the human experience. Uh, probably something happened to our remote ancestors, you know, sort of bumbling about, whatever, they, well, they didn't really hunt mastodons, they were probably more like scavengers. But uh, things happened that stuck in their minds and was passed on probably through some sort of ancestral memory thing. But it's sort of present with all of us. Um, now, in the paranormal realm, there seem to be just as many archetypes. In other words, themes 
that are present. Sometimes uh, they were present to our more remote ancestors who did not wear checkered shirts, but they may have been more recent in uh, the, the urban legend sense. Did you ever hear these legends? Uh, somebody will come along, oh, you never believe the story I heard today. There was this uh, th- this uh, friend of mine or, or somebody I heard about who uh, happened to f- go outside and s- saw this funny little dog, took the dog in and um, gave it a home, and it was very loving, and it turned out that it was an Australian wombat who could have skeletonized her in her sleep, something like that, or the elephant that sat on a Volkswagen, or uh, the common urban legends that are constantly growing as society changes. Well, I think that this may have been true with the paranormal archetypes. This is supposed to be a brief intro, sorry. <laughs> and, uh, so, but I have encountered uh, in Montreal, I remember uh, the man in the checkered shirt. I actually saw this guy, and right over here in Rhode Island, too, in Burrowville, I was on a case, and this guy was walking around, and he disappeared, walking around a truck, gone. Uh, that sort of thing. The girl with the blonde hair. You weren't involved in that case in Cumberland a million years ago, were you, Ben? I mean, I wasn't a million years old. No, well, I, I'm perhaps a bit of hyperbole there when it comes to the... Uh, <laughs> no, I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't involved with that, no. Okay, uh, this is in the, um, uh, my book faces, uh, I should say, Footsteps in the Attic, and there was a case in Cumberland, Rhode Island, uh, with the Washburn, Marshburn family, not not their real name. And it had to do, uh, what one of the, uh, there, there were several things going on in different parts of the house, and uh, the man would come out of his room at night and see this little girl with blonde hair. You know, I was there. Oh, you weren't. You were yep, there. Yes, I was. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm sorry. Well, well I mean, you were right. right. Someone in the room was. So there you, you remember you. that? Yes, I do. Okay. All right. So uh, also, but this is a sort of a theme, thematic kind of quote unquote ghost that we run into all the time. Um, I'm thinking to oh, as, as uh, keeping it locally here, and the Burrowville case in Rhode Island. Um, it was in uh, the Forestdale area. And uh, long, long, long-running case, longer, longest case we've ever monitored, 1998. Now I think we're, we can say we're pretty much off it because the family has moved to North Carolina. Uh, however, um, there was another thematic appearance by this uh, little girl with the blonde hair. Now this was definitely a parasite case, two parasites involved. And my theory was that they can take this form because you know they, they want to put you off your guard so they can push buttons and they can eat energy that comes off of you when you're annoyed, frightened, uh, angry, this sort of thing. And I think what was happening here was that this uh, sort of projected itself as this little blonde girl, because with flowers in her hair yet in this case. Which resembled know, a painting that they had, didn't it? Was well, that, that was the Marshburn case. Yeah. Well, that one too. Yep. And also, the, yeah, there was, a, there was a painting. So it, made, it was in the guy's mind, right. perhaps, and maybe projected it. Because, because as, as Shane will tell you, people are the ones who were haunted. People are the ones who participate very, very importantly in any paranormal manifestation. All right? So uh, that's what we're talking about here when um, Marie refers to the man in the checkered shirt, a little girl with blonde hair. Now, having my, given my brief introduction, Shane, what experience do you have with these archetypal figures, or do you interpret it the same way I do? Uh, well, actually, I have personal experience with the man in the checkered shirt, and I had never even heard that it was a thing until I was here uh, doing a show. I didn't know it was a phenomenon worldwide, you know. And common, yeah. Yeah, or common, yeah. So, but actually, when I was sick as a, and I had a, a near-death experience, um, the the man that came to the foot of my bed and, and spoke to me was a man in the checkered shirt. And he told me, you know, this is happening because you're going to help people um, for the rest of your life. And um, so basically, and then also in my dreams, I would be 
um, this, this same man would be in my dreams and tell me things um, of, of people I'm going to meet that I'm going to help. I mean, places I've never even been before, and I'm going to meet this person. And, and so that, like, the next day, two days, three days later, I'll go somewhere, and, wow, you know, there's this person I saw in my dream, and I'm supposed to help them, and I have. Mm-hmm. I have because I just felt, I mean, this has got to be something to it, you know. Yeah. So, but, yeah, that this man in the checkered shirt, um, he's, he's appeared quite a few times, probably about ten times in my life. Well, the question is, is sometimes when I encountered, I've encountered that twice, mm-hmm. and they look the same, okay? Yep. And uh, you know, the, the common question would be, okay, is, if this is a ghost of some man in the checkered shirt, first of all, if he's a ghost, what's he doing wearing clothes? Because the clothes have spirits. Too. You know, some spiritualists would argue that they do. I don't believe that. So I think that this may have been some sort of projection or some entity that you just, you know, we often will, will see, and we learned this of all places in intelligence training. The secret of invisibility is to be where you're not, where you're not expected to be. And when you see something, as Ben will tell you, or hear something, mm. your brain will interpret it in a certain way that your brain can understand. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is some sort of a phenomenon that has to do with that. On the other hand, uh, especially with the little girl thing, and there are other, uh, archetypes as well with a little girl thing very often i found it to be um parasitical or as folklore would say demonic yes very uh, very often that's the case yeah little girl and in that house too if i remember correctly they had purchased this this painting at an auction because it reminded them of their daughter so when he woke up in the middle of night to get a drink he'd come out in his boxer shorts you know and yeah and he was right i remember that he was half out of it and he saw that his daughter walk through and it it dawned on him wait a minute my daughter's in college right now And uh, but he saw her walk right through the kitchen, and uh, but yeah, that's that's how those parasites are. That's yeah, and, and the, the daughter was just to, to list there being any doubt was alive and kicking, and we met right. her <laughs> and all this stuff. She wasn't like she was a ghost, right? Uh, <clears throat> on the other hand, to build on the theme of our brain interpreting things, maybe we're seeing something and we 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 read it as the, the little girl. Maybe it's not actually you know if you or I were to see it, we we might interpret it as something else. Mm-hmm. But that's what we do. That's just a theory on my part. So uh, I think what you're talking about here, Marie, are uh, these these archetypes. And, of course, the real question is how do they show up in more than one place? And I've had uh, – we've had uh, – I don't know if you've been around the show. We had uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Um, which one? Which Rosemary Ellen Guiley? No, 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 oh. the show because she's been on many shows. Yes, uh, the, the most recent one. I and we were talking about shadow people yes. and yes, yes, things yes. of this kind. And what are they? And we got into this a little bit about these archetypes. She's run into them, too. And she seems to think that they were... Uh, Rosemary, who's writing the preface for my next book, the one Ben and I have not written together. We have Ben and I have one coming out together in January. We'll tell you about that later. But Rosemary would say that this is more the jinn, which is more of an Arab concept of the demon or some sort of manifestation of this kind. She says she's very often found that shadow people, which is... We have another question about that. I know you know about that. Um, are generally, in her <clears throat> interpretation, these jinn, which generally tend to be to be negative uh, in the cases that she's looked at, most of them anyway. So um, it really is a question that's kind of up in the air. How can they be in more than one place? Well, here's where we might get into the multiverse idea. Um, really, all time is is uh, synchronous, all um, is is uh, coexistent, so to speak, and all. Space is conterminous. In other words, everything is kind of all together at once. This is right out of, this began with Einstein's general theory of relativity and the notion of space and time being the same thing. There's no problem with bilocation. In our book coming out in January, Ben, we have a chapter, of course, on the paranormal lives of the saints. 
something you don't often think of. But many of them could bilocate. They could appear to be in uh, more than one place at the same time. People would, were witnesses to this. But you don't have to be a saint to be in more than one place at the same time, which is nice for most of us because most of us are not saints and most of us in modern life need to be in more than one place at the same time. But that, be that as it may, uh, these are all phenomena that I think are traceable to multiversal explanations. So uh, if you have a common theme among the human race, it is in the minds of more than one people, more, more than one person at the same time, to say the least, mm-hmm. if it's an archetype in the way we've explained it. So it's very possible you could see, you, you, I could be in Montreal and see the man in the checkered shirt. You could be in New Hampshire and see the, the man in the checkered shirt or wherever. Uh, our, like producer, our wonderful producer, Josh, of, of, of uh, Shining uh, Abilities, uh, could be here in Rhode Island and see the man in the checkered shirt. Ben, you could be wherever. Uh, you may be at any given time on a movie shoot and see the same thing. And there's nothing strange about it from a multiversal point of view. Well, with the man in the checkered shirt, would it look pretty much the same? Like, does every man in the checkered shirt look the, almost exactly the same between person Pretty much, person, yes. They all, they all look it? like you, Josh. <laughs> no, no, actually, no, actually, uh, no, they, uh, the, the ones I've seen, I've only seen it twice, uh, it looked exactly the same. Yeah. What do you think, Shane? I mean, what? The same here. Yeah? Yeah, always yeah. the same. Well, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, you've both had experiences with the men in the church. Oh, did, did the one... Did they look exact? like, was your interpretation very similar to your interpretation is what I'm... Well, let, let me ask Shane, and Ben, have you, you haven't run into this yet, have you? No. You, okay, all right. I have not. Sadly. Well, you are uh, wise beyond your years, but uh, I'm sure this will happen to you sooner or later. Eventually, things yes. to look forward to. Shane, what color was were the checks on the shirt? Red and black. Mine were just black. They were black and white. Mm-hmm. Now that's interesting, huh? Mm-hmm. Now that could be just my, my brain, such as it is, you know, interpret interpreting the, uh, the the phenomenon, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, okay, so well, that's a long answer to Marie's question, but hopefully a complete one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, it okay. adds to that, too, just like the Zozo phenomenon, that which seems to be growing, but it's been around for a very long that's, time that's all around the world. That's what we talked about with uh, I, I listened to that show, yeah. yeah. Oh, you saw oh, I you listened cheat. To... You listened to the show before. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Zozo being this entity that, that seems to come through on Ouija boards, which is not a good idea. Uh, Rosemary doesn't always agree with me. Rosemary and I agree on, on two things. We're good friends, and it's this particular day of the week. It's Sunday, okay? <laughs> yeah, that's about, that's about it. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, so here's, this is from Mark in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Ready? So Mark writes to us, I have listened to many of your podcasts, and I find your multiverse ideas interesting. My question is about time. Most ghosts seem to be time. from the past, and if all time is existing at the same time, how come people do not see ghosts from the future, or at least not as many? Well, they do. The question has arisen... Are all these UFO sightings, which are coming out of our ears, uh, and uh, UFO encounters, alien encounters, uh, could these be um, not necessarily people from other planets, or but people from what to us would be the future? Just because they are not wispy little figures yes. that take the form of a little girl or a man in a checkered shirt, does that mean that they're not from the future? Do you remember, now you and I have both been to Rendlesham Forest in England, where, where these, these tremendous UFO uh, experiences of the, of the 1980s occurred to military personnel, and we were with one of the military personnel to whom it occurred yes. when we visited there in 2012, um, and also local people. And you know us, we, we look beyond the initial case, and you, you, you find out it's the tip of the iceberg almost always. We, are, we uncovered all kinds of local people in eastern England here uh, in the Norwich uh, Woodbridge area who had had all kinds of experiences in the forest, had seen strange lights, and then when we looked in the history of it, it went back all the way to what? Like the Saxon times, right? 
about that, yeah. Yeah, so all kinds of things were going on. So the um, the idea that these could be time travelers came up in that case with our good friend Jim Peniston, also an eyewitness to this, this case in 1980, Air Force uh, security uh, person, who said that he actually walked up to one of these craft when it was resting on the fourth floor, and then this was witnessed by another um, Air Force security um, enlisted man, and that was John Burroughs, also a good friend of ours. He'd been on this show multiple times. He actually went up, uh, Peniston actually went up and touched the craft, rather small, maybe about the size of this room, this booth. And he, uh, so he said something wanted him to do that. And nothing bad happened, although Burroughs may have had a missing time experience. So again, time fluctuating, all this stuff as, mm-hmm. as, as we experience it. He touched the craft. He said it was warm to the touch. And in hypnotism later on, under, under hypnosis, he said, they were not alien. They were us. That's a quote, okay? And now, he, many years, this is 40 years later, more than that, he believes uh, that what they were, he was dealing with were time travelers. May not have been in human form in the sense we would understand it. There may not have been any inside the craft. It could have been a probe. And there were other crafts seen that night uh, by numerous people, one of whom we're going to have on the show because he lives relatively nearby. He's, he's going to co-host with us in a few weeks. And uh, so time travelers... He also felt that uh, Jim, uh, this is uh, Peniston, also felt that a binary code was downloaded to him, to his mind, as he touched this craft and uh, throughout the whole experience. And uh, that has been analyzed by binary code experts, uh, one in particular, uh, who believes that they are um, latitudes and longitudes of certain places on Earth. Okay, now that, we've done a show on that before, so I'm going to get into it now, and we, we'll talk about it again. But the point is that uh, I think there, ha- there are many future uh, experiences that take place, as well as ghosts, as well as past ones. One example that I use, you know, for what this is worth, is uh, regression therapists, people who believe uh, that they can hypnotize others. And many of these have MDs and, and, and doctorates can take people back through hypnosis to their, their quote-unquote, previous life, past lives. Now, in the, the strictly Einstein sense, or in the strict physical sense, physics sense of time, you can't do that because there is no past. There is no future. But, so what would you be dealing with? If the memories are legitimate, if the hypnosis is legitimate, you come up with perhaps parallel lives. And that's why for years and years and years I've asked regression therapists, do you ever encounter a subject who tells you a year, say, uh, or describes a world that you don't recognize? And sure enough, almost always they'll say, gee, it's funny. I had somebody uh, a couple of weeks ago who said it was th- this year, like centuries from now, or, or, or years that, that combine dates and letters in, in ra- ways they don't recognize or describe alien worlds. And so I think this may, if, if this is legit, and it may not be, uh, this is another, uh, this is more evidence that perhaps we do have future lives being described, uh, parallel lives, as well as past parallel lives. Because it's all simultaneous, seemingly. And we only it only seems like time is passing because we experience it that way in our consciousness because we're not there yet, maybe in an evolutionary standpoint. We can't absorb all these parallel lives and be aware of them. Or what happens? You're schizophrenic. Take Librium or something like that, and you f- fill your pockets full of antipsychotic drugs, and when I was working in psych hospitals, they'd stick them in there. 
the most knowledgeable. I learned more in that, in that ward in Augensburg, New York, than I ever did in the classroom at the seminary from these people who supposedly were schizophrenic and knew all about historical events. Some were in hell worlds. Others were not. So we talked about that, too, on the show. So I think we do have, that's a long answer, one of my long answers to a short question. Sure, we do have, um, I think, future uh, manifestations. There's actually quite a few photos out there, too, that, um, that, that show people from, like, they're older photos, but there's people with futuristic clothes on, um, mm-hmm. more modern clothes, I should say, uh, sunglasses that weren't ever invented at the time, cell phones, you know, from photos that are taken in the 30s, and, the, and then here's a strange individual, who's this guy, and he's got a modern cell phone in his hand. I think you might be referring to, at least that there's a, um, uh, there was a thing circulating on the net. And it was two older people. Did you see that, Ben? There were a couple of older people uh, walking together. There was some premiere of uh, Gone with the Wind or something. This is how far back this was, like like 38. And the woman seemed to be holding something up to her her mouth and talking. And uh, the first thing that occurred to me, to have a cell phone, you need a fantastic infrastructure. (laughs) <laughs> for it to work, not, not to mention satellites, which as far as I know, there weren't any in the 30s, right? Yeah, I didn't see that so photo, but I'll show you the okay. one that I okay, I'd like it's to see a quantum quantum phone. phone. It's, it's been I'm analyzed, not. and they can't, they can't debunk any of these photos. That's why I'm t- speaking about I'd it. I'd like but, to see this, because yeah. you, you are, you are, I know you too well to know that you'd ever <laughs> fall for anything that, was, that didn't have good evidence uh, with it. So, Okay, so to, to be continued. Uh, this is uh, from Kevin in Birch River, Manitoba. Already... Kevin and Rakes. by the way, speaking of that part of Canada, uh, with, with our, we have listeners in Alberta, and, and you know I'll, we're with you folks with that terrible fire that's going on uh, in Alberta right now, and it seems to be getting worse. And uh, I have a few connections who have the, with the military up there, and, and they were telling me it's, it's rough. So uh, we're with you folks. Okay, good. So Kevin writes to us, I find your ideas about the paranormal flap areas very interesting. Here in Manitoba, I have seen several crop circles, but there was no way to tell if they were hoaxes or not. Uh, do you think crop circles are paranormal? And if so, what are they all about? Have you ever run into a crop circle in flap areas you are investigating, like in Connecticut or Rendlesham Forest? Anybody? Hmm? I mean... Okay, well... No, I, I've, I haven't run into any of that, so I've, I, don't, I really don't know much about crop circles other than that one show we did on them. Well, I was in the UK in 89. You weren't even born yet. And uh, I was uh, driving by the, uh, Wiltshire, the area of Stonehenge. I remember I passed Stonehenge twice on that trip. And uh, I, there were all these cars lined up. I was on my way to Devon in the southwest of England to investigate the Beast of Exmoor. That's another story. And all these cars were. I later found out there was an amazing crop circle. I could have stopped and seen it. Hmm. You know, so story of my life, right? But uh, I have not personally run into crop circles in flap areas. That's a very good question. On the other hand, many of the flap areas are not particularly that kind of agricultural country. You know, it seems like a lot of the areas where we, like the Litchfield County, Connecticut case, where I was talking about, yeah. uh, there aren't really any wheat fields or corn fields, or they're ordinary corn fields. I guess they could knock but down not, trees if they wanted to. I suppose. Well, I don't know. Could they? Uh, there are a lot of horses and cows, and I have never seen. That would be kind of gross about. Well, because well, we there had, are um, mutilations. Of. Uh, not Rosemary guy. We had so, we had somebody else on. I cannot remember her name right now. Uh, woman who's a journalist. That we oh, have uh, on Linda Moulton Howe. Yes, yeah. Linda Moulton Howe talks about crop be circles. 
not too long ago. We had her, I think it was, maybe it was, maybe it was about a year ago that we had her on talking about crop circles and she was adamant. Like she just came from like a crop, like a crop circle and was like on the phone with us like, yes, this is real. And I was like, whoa. Oh yeah, no, and and uh, Linda is is a, is a uh, an award-winning, an eminent science journalist. So she doesn't just you know say this stuff. Um, she has been criticized a little for you know, but I mean you, you see evidence, evidence yeah. is evidence. You, know, yeah. you do the best you can with it. She's just very passionate. She's a passionate person. I've, she is. She I've is. never actually been to a crop circle or investigated one, but I have researched them quite a bit. I've seen videos of people making it look simple to create one, but not as extravagant. And some, oh, yeah. some of them are. I mean, it's a, mm. there's no way somebody could do that on the ground. You know, unless it's a global phenomenon and they all have the same equipment and the same mathematical knowledge. Yeah, I mean, it's, that, it's amazing. You know, it would, it would take it would take a, a global hoax conspiracy beyond anything I've ever heard of. Exactly. Uh, but of course, with the internet, that's possible. But I mean, it's just the coordination. I mean, you today in the modern world, you can't coordinate a checkers game. Never mind <laughs> some kind of a hoax like that. Right. At least in my opinion. I mean, it'd be Generally. funny, but like, <laughs> I mean, well, I'd I mean, be legitimately impressed if somebody could do that. Well, that that's it. I mean, it's 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 really really kind of strange. So uh, I think we're coming up on our break, and uh, we will continue. In just a moment, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley with our co-host Shane Searway today. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, this is the Moose Man. Check out the groove line for the best blues, rock, funk, classic 50s, and the Beatles every single week. Tune in Thursdays from 6 to 7 p.m. That's the groove line right here on Owen. Owen Radio. Owen Worldwide. Okay, and we have a number of charities on the show behind the paranormal here on Owen 1240 uh, that we will mention at the end of the show, and uh, there are more coming. That we, we check out... Uh, Charities very very carefully before we suggest them, uh, because there are a number of them you can give to when they go to administration and everything else, which is fine. But I mean, they should tell you that uh, the ones we suggest, uh, the money goes to the people who need it most. Okay, so let's continue with our open line show here. Uh, kept catching up on emails from our widespread listenership here. This is from Kara or Kara in Digby, Nova Scotia. Ready, so Kara writes to us. Yes, yes. Aha! Okay. I'm already ahead of you. You're how about smarter? Yes. Uh, so Kara writes to us. I have a ghost I can only see in the bathroom mirror. I was really scared at first, but now I'm used to it. Uh, I'm in. I'm of upper middle age and live in the house by myself. It was my grandfather's house, and I was coming here since I was a little girl, and I have lived here for eight years. I never saw this ghost until last year. Except for the funny sounds you would expect to hear in a 200-year-old house, there is nothing else that's weird. Uh, I am trying to think of all the questions you can ask on your show. The mirror is very old. It has been uh, here for a very long time, as long as I can remember. Uh, It is a woman in the mirror, life-size, but like she is standing by the outside wall. She doesn't look mean and usually has a little smile, but she doesn't seem to see me. Now, she is always standing still, but sometimes is facing in different directions. What do you think this is, and what should I do, if anything? I'm going to leave this to you two gentlemen. I've run into mirrors before, but... Well, the only mirror thing that I've run into was at the house in uh, the Litchfield, Connecticut area. Yeah, with Shane is also familiar, because he's working right. on that case, too. I mean, that's pretty much the only thing I've I've run into uh, with that, but I mean... I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Uh, objects tend to carry some sort of weight and leave some sort of dent 
in space-time. In other, in other words, this may be some sort of view into some other, some other place where this woman is indeed living out her life, just sort of looking in the mirror. You know, why not? Yeah. Well, uh, well, go ahead, Shane. It could be like you know, it, it sounds like in her case, maybe like a bleed over from her parallel to another yeah. um, type of thing. Um, but I'm, if that's the case, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that she's eventually going to see it, you know, dead on um, without the mirror, just view, viewing mm. her in the house at some point. I've dealt with mirrors quite a bit, um, almost every single one that I've dealt with. Um, where people were only seeing something in, in behind them in the mirror, it ended up turning really, really nasty. Um, one of the worst worst houses I've ever seen started off with seeing a man behind her um, while she's brushing her hair or whatever. And, I mean, I, I watched her queen-size bed get thrown against the wall when I was I think in you're the scaring house. the hay out of our guests. Oh, yeah, no, no, but, our, our, but I'm saying with hers, hers sounds different. It yeah. sounds like more like a bleed-over from one parallel to the other. Oh, right, yeah. You know, um, so but so I, I'm guessing she's going to end up seeing this woman um, with her direct vision at some point. I can only imagine. Yeah. Uh, but she's doing right. She said at first it scared her, now it doesn't. That's very important. Don't let it scare you uh, because it could bring, it could pull in something nasty. So you're handling it right, I think, for sure. Um, don't keep fear out of the equation. Yeah. Um, and don't give it too much attention. Don't expect to see it all the time because if we give it that attention, we could draw in something negative that does want your attention and, and to feed off of that. And, um, so right, Especially right. since it seems like it came out of nowhere too, exactly. which is, which is kind of weird. Now that I'm thinking about that, I mean it's an old house, yeah. So maybe this could a lot of things have probably been happening, a lot of things going on. But I mean, still, something would have been you know more evident right. in time if this was like a constant thing. And that's well, how it always happens too. Like well, someone has lived in in a home for for years, and then all of a sudden, you know, out of nowhere. You're starting to witness something, and that's usually how the the nasty ones start. I'm not saying that's the case here, so but she's handling it right. So if something is trying to pop in, there's there's got to be a reason. Something must have changed um, to stimulate uh, the attention of something. Well, she's um, been living here for a little while. Yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden, so or, or like I said, it could be a bleed over from her parallel to another. Um, but just keep it positive. Keep it. Uh, keep the attention off of it. Don't always think about it. Shut it off from your internal dialogue, and, and don't fear it. So you're so far it's sounds like you're doing a good job okay yeah and she's uh, probably been in this house off and on since she was a child because her grandparents mm. lived there she she got it from them um actually cara um i ben and i have family in nova scotia and um if we take the ferry over it pretty much dumps us right at digby so we could stop by at some point maybe later this year if we're up there so uh keep in touch with this uh just before we leave the mirror subject i'm thinking of as ben mentioned the uh litchfield house where, where that, that flap case investigation started for us in 05 and uh the mirror um which uh, shane is also familiar with uh, and which i saw just a few weeks ago when i stayed over there uh is was quite remarkable and, and we we took all kinds of photographs of it and um now, you weren't there that day, but you've seen the photo. I have seen the You know the, the mirror. Great photo. And uh, I, I have to emphasize, you know, I learned photography in the military and uh, at your expense, probably, or your parents. And, you know, I, I know what anomalies look like and what lens flares look like and things of this kind. I went to all kinds of crazy trouble. Ben, you remember this. I do remember this, yeah. All kinds of trouble to... Um, uh, avoid any kind of reflection. We didn't use flash. In some cases, some cases we did. And uh, this almost inevitably, it, it sometimes in, in different positions, this figure seemed to come out in this. And the people in the household recognized it as uh, 
as one of their ancestors. Yeah. Okay. Now, I, I again, that's it could be suggestibility. It could be just the brain taking something and assembling, you know, presenting something to your consciousness that you recognize, that sort of thing. So I always take that with a grain of salt, sometimes a pillar of salt with some <laughs> of these things. But it is what it is, and mirrors do seem to be active. Um, I had a case in Philadelphia one time uh, where the, uh, the the people insisted, and I knew these people, the uh, lady would come out of the mirror, clean the floor, and go back into the mirror. I said, where do you get a mirror like this? You know, <laughs> so because mom needs the help. Yeah, right. So in any case, it is what it is. So uh, these are things we look at very carefully. And as Shane, I would echo Shane's uh, caution that you've got uh, possible negative connections here. Because as we always say, nothing in the paranormal is what it appears to be. You have to take it as it comes, and you have to anticipate possible possibilities that may be associated with, with various phenomena. You never assume that it really is a lady looking at you in the mirror. Uh, I think Shane's a 90% chance that uh, Shane's right that it's some kind of bleed over. I like that term from a parallel uh, reality there, especially in an old house where lots of people have lived or will be living because the future is just as relevant here too. So uh, I, would, I would just say, Kara, uh, keep us posted on this. All right. So the next one here is from Amelia on the Isle of Wight in England. Alrighty, so Amelia writes to us. I mean, we kind of answered this a little bit earlier, but oh, I mean, we can probably, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll probably expand on it so a little Amelia bit. doesn't think we're neglecting her. Exactly. So she writes to us, I don't really know how to phrase this, but I'll have a go. Each human and animal live alongside each other on Earth right now. Are they, in fact, me, but living multiple lives? Do each of these individual each individuals live within their own reality and universe, so to speak? As an example... Uh, if I spoke to my next-door neighbor, uh, would she be a version of me, but in her own dimension? Does this sound bonkers, and are we all God? <laughs> each uh, each has separate cells making up a whole. What do you think? Thanks. Okay, well, th- these, are, these are good questions. And not only does Amelia address probably one of the most difficult areas of our theories to understand and to get your mind around... This, these are questions that have arisen since the beginning of human thought. If you look back at ancient Greek philosophy, you could put it in another way, but they may be asking the same questions. What is the nature? You know, who are we? What are we? What is our relationship with the world, with the universe, with the cosmos, which is a Greek word, and, and with each other, even with animals and trees? But what is the relationship? These are old, old questions. And I think that uh, if we look back, and we're always saying that our remote ancestors knew the answers to these things somehow. Um, as I've often mentioned, uh, dealing with shaman in days of yore, um, one particular one in Australia, another particular one in Quebec, different sides of the planet, they told me the same thing. I'm lucky they told me anything because they usually don't talk to outsiders. you know. Uh, but it was that, that um, essentially we're dealing with what amount to parallel worlds, and they'll, they go in and, and that one of their jobs is as, as shaman is to take what is needed by in our world and make it real here because it's real somewhere or somewhere and you just have to combine the worlds. It's, uh, what, a, what a physicist might say is collapsing the wave function. Okay, So we've talked about that a lot on the show. But as far as um, taking this to its logical or illogical conclusion, our whole multiverse idea that all things are possible, and that's why you'll see the ghost, quote-unquote, of someone who... Well, I should put it this way. You, you will actually see someone who has died in your consciousness stream, in your, in your life, in, in what your consciousness of, 
uh, what you are conscious of, but the person is right there at some point, maybe, maybe disappears again, because you, you've got bleed-overs, as Shane would put it, from worlds where that person never died. Because we seem to exist in many, many of these different worlds. And many physicists consider this very good physics and no longer open to question. It's open to interpretation. And uh, we stumbled on it. This is what we're seeing in the paranormal. It's not dead people. It's people who are alive somewhere or somewhere else. They're dead here. But, but that's the thing. So taking that beyond to where Amelia is thinking here in her question, when you look at your next-door neighbor, yes, Somewhere or somewhere, that's you, literally and completely and concretely. Uh, as I've often, uh, when, when uh, we were, you weren't there, your brother was, he was helping move the book sales up at Mount Ida College near Boston. I always cite this uh, as, as a good example of this. They, uh, we spoke, and I was talking, among other things, about cases and different things and conclusions drawn from these cases, which had to do with human relationships and the multiverse idea. And uh, at the end, um, I was in this big chair, you know, like Santa Claus or something, and the, the kids would come up, and uh, there were two freshmen, freshman girls, came up and said, we're intrigued by this. Why is it that when we were registering for this semester, uh, we had never seen each other before in our lives, never talked, and we saw each other across the room, and we were sisters from the start. I, that's exactly what they said. We were sisters from the start. And I said, well, the answer to that is easy. At some point... In the, in the multiverse, at some point, at some time, you are each other. That's why you felt this bond immediately. You, you just, your consciousnesses were aligned to the point where you were aware of it. And we're all each other. And this is not, you know, touchy-feely new age. This is as real as it gets. These, these two kids knew precisely what I was talking about. Their eyes lit up and they went scampering away, perfectly satisfied because uh, that's, Precisely what I believe had happened, and then they, they recognize. I find that people recognize these concepts once they're pointed out, except some paranormal people, yeah, to right. whom we are bad for business. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, anyway, uh, so, so I think that's. Uh, so I think you're really onto it here, Amelia. And I think that's uh, pretty much what it is. Uh, I do have to point out that strictly speaking, I mean, people use the term parallel worlds and dimensions interchangeably. They're really not the same thing. Uh, to, to put it simplistically. Dimensions exist within worlds. Okay, so you may have a parallel world where there are 18 dimensions. Uh, this one supposedly has 11 because that's what string theory is finding. Uh, but I have to point out that string theory, see, physicists, scientists in general, physicists in particular, will, in, will invent concepts just to explain things and hope that they pan out later on. Very often they do. Uh, the whole idea of dark matter and all this stuff. Uh, was was uh, concocted because, and I'm not saying it's wrong, because it's proving to be correct, uh, to fill in gaps in the knowledge, and hopefully it comes about. This is where string theory comes in, because they're trying to unite Newtonian physics, the physics that will build you a house or a road or take you from point A to point B in a straight line, uh, with quantum physics, which is all this f- crazy, wild stuff about what reality really is, which is not very comfortable for most of us, and does, I think, explain the paranormal, among many other things. So well, there you go, Amelia. We'll see what uh, what, what that's about. Lovely. Um, I'm going to skip this next one because we've kind of been dealing with this. Uh, then we're going to take the one, uh, Will from Nyack, New York. When I, when I was in seminary, they always called it Nyack. <laughs> anyway, with all due respect to my friends in Nyack. 
Oh, so Will writes to us, I found your show about a year ago, and I have been gradually listening to your great podcasts. Why, thank you. Um, many things about these uh, stick in my mind and bother me. I know you have other questions from listeners, so I will send mine one at a time uh, over your next open line shows. For today, I'm fascinated by the, the question you asked Philip Spencer uh, on your show on the Kentucky Wild Man, apparently a Bigfoot incarnation. The guest mentioned one sighting where some deer were apparently very afraid of Bigfoot and were running in terror. In other sightings, Bigfoot was strolling through a field uh, with many deer around, and they seemed quiet and serene. You pointed this out, and Spencer had wondered about it, too. You suggested multiverse explanation. Could you expand on this, please? Now, that show was broadcast, in case you want to listen to it, on um, this station, ON 1240, on May 2nd. 2011, almost five years ago. Yeah. I don't even remember the show. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was a fun show. It was good. Spencer was good. I'd like to have him back. Philip Spencer. Uh, show number 238, because we always number them for your uh, convenience. All right. Uh, and they're free. They're all free. They're, uh, most of them that we didn't lose, uh, there were only a few that were, have been lost over the last eight, nine years. Um, BehindTheParanormal.com. And you can uh, see those. Those are all free. So in any case, uh, to answer Will's question, uh, uh, the the description that Phil Spencer offered was, uh, as Will points out, uh, there were witnesses who uh, heard all this crashing in a bush, and uh, there was this, the deer were running uphill, apparently being chased by a large creature, not a bear, large creature on two legs, which, of course, would be our dear old friend Bigfoot, I mean, by process of elimination, one would think. And then in the um, the second instance, uh, there were uh, witnesses who saw, I believe Phil himself, saw one of these uh, Bigfoot creatures uh, walking through a field. It sounded rather rather beautiful, the way he described it. It was kind of mist uh, on the ground, and, and there were these deer grazing uh, serenely, and through the midst of the deer walked this creature, right? Very, you know, serenely, so to speak. And uh, the question that, that, that we asked was, well, all right, well, why were the deer afraid on one occasion and not on the other? And you might say, well, you could walk among deer, too, if you weren't hunting them. Uh, and th- there is some uh, opinion that Bigfoot is, is uh, carnivorous or omnivorous. In other words, he eats anything, plants and animals. But nobody really knows. Well, there's that. also different versions of Bigfoot as well. Some seem to be more hostile than others, mm. like the skunk ape, the wild man. Then you have the, your basic Sasquatch, the Yeti, or the Kentucky or, Wild Man, in this or the case. Kentucky Wild Man, yeah. or the Yowie. They all they all seem to have different temperaments. You know what I mean? So almost like races of people. I suppose there, there are many different kinds of people. Some maybe there are many different kinds of. Whatever these are, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's. There's all sorts of different legends and folklore. Like, I know, I know some some Native American tribes say that it's a guardian of the forest, mm-hmm. whereas others in different parts of the world will say that, oh no, you don't want to you don't want to go anywhere near them. Like they will, like they they are very hostile. Like they hunt things. It's just it's it's different. I guess it depends on the the tradition in which you hear the folklore, or perhaps the perception in which. We see it? I don't know. It's different. They're, they all seem to be very different. Well, if they're supposed to be guardians of the forest and you're not going in the forest, they're apparently doing their job very well. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. <laughs> well, they, they know Ben too well. Right? Yes. So, did the Navajo, when you were with the Navajo people, did they tell you, did this come up? I know Skinwalkers came up. Skinwalkers came up. Bigfoot did not come up. What about you, Shane? Have you run into Bigfoot in your experience uh, other than the running around Litchfield with us? <laughs> uh, no, I, I've been to quite a few places, um, but I have investigated... 
other things that might, I guess you could, you could explain it as to be like a Bigfoot, but it, it wasn't brought to my attention as that. It was brought to my attention as like a land protector, or a very aggressive one. And this has been. Interesting. Yeah, several different places. And those do exist, you know. Um, you know, me being part Native American, I know a lot about that. Um, Native Americans did put protectors on, in land, and it's very legit. Because um, you're part Blackfoot. Yes. Yeah. And um, But I investigated one place in New Hampshire that was told to me by three different individuals that did not know each other but explained the same type of um, event. They both, they, all three of them had gone through something uh, very similar. And it was near this river where, um, at one case, like the, the, there was two guys in a canoe fishing, and it was late at night. And they started, they started hearing a strange noise, like a growl or whatever. They saw trees start to shake, like giant trees at the top. I mean, almost like they were being pushed aside. And next thing you know, there were giant boulders, that, like three different boulders that were thrown towards their canoe, almost hitting the canoe, too large for any human being to pick up, yeah. but were launched about 30 feet off the shore towards their boat. Um, creating such a wake that they almost tipped over. Um, and I've also investigated another area with very similar type, um, well, reported activity towards to me. I, I've never encountered anything when I was there. Um, but it's, uh, you know, some people could say, hey, well, it's a, a Bigfoot's over there, but we don't know because I've never actually seen one. Mm. And um, But there's definitely something out in, the, in some of those woods, you know. Okay. Well, I had an experience rather recently, and I'm not going to talk about it. I shouldn't do this because it's, people are going to wonder. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'll, I'll leave that for a future time. It's not resolved yet. But in the um, the questions arise: Why would there be Bigfoot sightings? And there, ha- there have been, I think, in, I believe, in every state, including Little Rhode Island here. Yes, right? yes, we have. Yes, I, I remember um, this one in uh, or Spring Lake, where you and your brother yep. and I used to go swimming all the time. Yep. Uh, there was a white Bigfoot scene. Uh, right on the road where you drive into Spring Lake there. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is recent, right? Uh, well, this goes back to the 80s, I think. Oh, okay. All right. 80s or, or a... 60s. I don't remember. I, I, yeah, I, I, I hate to talk about it yeah. in the air if I don't have the, fa- the facts. I don't want to speculate. But it was somewhere in the, It was not recent. Okay. As far as I know. Because I think there was a recent white. There could have been a recent. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In Rhode Island? Sorry about that. Uh, I, I don't remember. Oh, okay. I just saw a you know, quick... Uh, so Rhode Island, we want to know about it. want to know about it anyway. <laughs> so uh, these are all things. But the question arises, why... If this is a creature that is uh, simply very hard to find, why would they be turning up? In the case of Rhode Island, in a, in a, in a uh, you know relatively rural but still heavily traveled area, and certainly in the Litchfield County, Connecticut area, which is very rural but still within a hundred miles of New York City and is full of human activity, especially especially recreational uh, activity, uh, people are running around the woods all the time out there, all right, including me and you. And you, not so much Ben, but sometimes. Occasionally. Yeah. So um, this is this gets into the idea uh, of why, the original question here from Will, uh, why in some cases Bigfoot might be scary to the wildlife, and in other cases not so. Seems to be just part of the scene. Well, uh, again, perhaps this is, a, as some of the natives say, it is a shapeshifter or one who comes and goes uh, in thin places. You know, comes and goes from what we would say parallel realities. Well, if it is a parallel reality thing, then there's no such thing as just one specific Bigfoot. Well, that that's could change right. exactly in, right in to your moment. point. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So I think that uh, that we found that with uh, uh, I found with parasites that when they are well, let's say more in our world than in their own, uh, they can be very solid. And I've had physical experiences with these. And the one I talk about most is in the Bridgeport case of 1974 when I was working with Lorraine Warren. 
and uh, we didn't know what to do with the information. That had never happened to me before. Other times, they're very ethereal, so to speak, and they're just energies. And I think any any possibility uh, can occur. That's the nature of the multiverse. So I think that um, rather than you know living in some cave someplace, and some have reportedly done so. We've had people contact us who say they were friends with the with the Bigfoot, you know, or the Bigfoot people, as they call. And uh, so any, I think anything is possible, and anything is probably manifesting at one point or another in these uh, these scenarios. So uh, I think we get time maybe for one more question. Uh, thank you, Will, for writing in. We'll look forward to further questions as we go. Um, here's a relatively short one. This is from Caroline in Lemonster, Mass. Alrighty, so Caroline writes to us, Paul, I saw your presentation at the New England UFO Conference on Aliens versus Demons, and it was amazing. I also listened to your shows and uh, where you talk about people with UFO encounters having demonic experiences and poltergeists that act like aliens, etc. Uh, what do you think of the new report from the Foundation for Research into the Extraterrestrial Experiences that says only 13% of experiencers have negative encounters? Yeah, well, I looked that up, and uh, I'm not so much Ben, but I'm I'm involved uh, to some degree with FREE as it's as it's called. I'm supposed to be one of the people who, helping with this survey. However, um, there are a lot of far better people than myself involved, people with uh, a lot uh, more background in that field. But in any case, uh, here is essentially what the abstract of the. Uh, survey results were. In summary, I'm quoting, in summary, approximately 13% of respondents found their ET contact, ET being extraterrestrial, in case you didn't see the movie, found their ET contact experience to be negative in some measure. By contrast, fully 64% of respondents found their ET contact experience to be, uh, to have a positive life-changing effect. When asked, how would you describe your ET contact experience, 66% described the experience as mainly positive, quote-unquote. By contrast, only 4.87 found their ET contact experience mainly negative. 17.62% found their experience equally positive and negative. And 11.43% were neutral about their ET experience. So if you're still awake, uh, that would be uh, a very strange set of statistics in my book. Of course, again, uh, I spent most of my um, time in this field working with uh, negative experiences and, and uh, entities, apparently. And uh, what has happened within the past five years is that I've gotten together with the uh, people we've met at UFO conferences. Shane knows them, too. Uh, certainly Kathy Marden, um, a renowned um, expert in this field, and uh, MUFONs, uh, na- the National uh, the, uh, Mutual UFO Network's Director of Alien Abduction Research, and Denise Stoner, uh, author and, and uh, expert in her own right. And uh, we've been consulting on a number of cases. We hope to be working on some together uh, where people had UFO experiences and ended up with what we would describe as classic parasite experiences going on in their homes. Now, this might and I think does, tie into the whole idea about flaps, uh, what we describe where various paranormal phenomena seemingly unrelated occur uh, with gusto in a certain area over a certain period of time. Uh, but on the other hand, nothing in the paranormal is what it appears to be. So what may be an alien standing by your bed could be a parasite, and vice versa. And maybe, maybe they're the same thing in many cases. So these are all things we're looking into now. But uh, I think that Caroline's question has to do with, well, if, if this is true, why do so few people seem to have negative experiences with, quote-unquote, aliens? Well, uh, I don't know. Uh, I saw the questions that were asked uh, by the free uh, interviewers, and uh, they seem to be fair enough. But on the other hand, if you talk with 
a number of the people in the experiences experiencers uh, support groups, and I'm thinking of our, our um, uh, some of our good friends we meet at some of the conferences up north here. Um, they have had mostly negative experiences. Th- these were traumatic. Uh, I'm thinking too of um, maybe not so much Tom Reed, our, our good friend Tom Reed, who had the experience in Massachusetts with his brother and his whole family. Really, uh, that wasn't necessarily negative. Um, uh, Travis Walton. Uh, who was a famous experience, uh, Fire in the Sky, the film Fire in the Sky was based on his experiences. Uh, he says it was not entirely accurate, but um, we know him. And his experience was very negative in the beginning, but he's come around to believing that it was essentially positive. So the real, quest, the real answer here, Caroline, is I don't know, you know what, why these statistics are what they are and Really, how many have negative experiences and how many? I think one of the things I suspect is that the results of this may have been skewed, although it was very well done, very professionally done by Free, that a lot of people who've had these negative experiences have not come forward. They, they come to people like us. And nobody in that field until recently has asked us about this, this kind of phenomenon. That's my take. What, what do you fellas think? I'm right with you on that. Yeah, sure. I just think a lot of things go unreported. Because people don't think they're UFO experiences. Yeah. At least not in the classic sense. And many people who have even positive ones aren't going to come forward because people think they're nuts. Okay. Oh, we gotta we gotta get ready to go. Okay. Well, that being said, uh on our next um we have our next public appearance, uh, and I do mean our because it will include Shane. Uh we'll be at the Connecticut Gathering of the Paranormal, as I guess they're calling it, in Windsor Locks on Saturday and Sunday, July twenty third and twenty fourth. We will speak on Saturday. Then on Sunday, we plan to host a weekly edition of this show with a panel of all the speakers before a live audience. Uh, we'll also speaking there will be our friend William J. Hall, author of The World's Most Haunted House and The Haunted House Diaries. The event will benefit the Queen of Hearts Thoroughbred Retirement Farm in Maine, homeless shelter for horses. So we've been asked to appear at the premiere of a new event, the Massachusetts UFO Festival, to be held on Saturday, August 6th in the Great Barrington area of Massachusetts. So Great Barrington, Massachusetts. The, that only happened uh, yesterday, so we'll let you know the details once they are worked out. And on September 3rd and 4th, we'll be at the dot. We'll be on the docket for the Exeter UFO Festival in Exeter, New Hampshire. In October, we'll be speaking at the MUFON event in Philadelphia and at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Leominster, Massachusetts. More information at the, as the dates approach. Now, Shane, you're going to be speaking as well at some some events of your of your own or some of the same ones. Uh Let's tell folks about that. Uh, this Saturday, this coming Saturday, I'll be speaking in Stratham, New Hampshire, at the Seacoast, oh no, the Saucer Symposium, um, at the KRI uh, Study for Consciousness. Yeah, we've been there before. Yeah, it's it's a great place, great folks. They have an event Friday and Saturday. I'm speaking um, uh, Saturday evening. Cool. So. Okay. Is there a website people can look? Uh, there's a Facebook. You can just uh, look it up, uh, Saucer Symposium, and you'll find it. Okay. Cool. Saucer Symposium mm. rolls off the tongue. Uh, meanwhile, find out more about the show, our public appearances, and more at BehindTheParanormal.com. And uh, you'll also find 650 free recorded shows from both ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Okay. 
this fall. You can start looking for uh, our forthcoming book, originally titled Cosmic Journey. Don't get confused about that, because the publisher asked us to change it to Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, based it would be, be really great marketing for the show as well. Indeed. That's coming from Schiffer Publishing in January. Um, I shouldn't say fall because it's January. Uh, we'll let you know the release date when we have it, the precise release date. There will be a release event of some kind. We'll let you know about that, too. Not sure quite what that will be yet, but you might get something to eat. Right. So next Sunday, May 15th, we will welcome Canadian researcher and filmmaker uh, Adam Tomlinson for a discussion on what he has found out about shadow people. And I guess that just about does it for us today. You'll have to wait for the quote for next week. It's Paul Eno and Ben Eno. I'm Shane Sarway. Talk to you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.